Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck, four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM at 94.5 FM. It is Wednesday and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host Jack Johnson alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and Northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Hauer and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and our team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift on ESPN Kansas City, it will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use on whatever you would like. Coffee, tea, breakfast items, it's your $10. All you got to do is call the number of 913-649-2002 and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift. It is Wednesday, and the Chiefs play on Sunday, so that means we're going to kick off the show with our three keys to the game. How can the Kansas City Chiefs beat Joe Burrow and the Bengals for the first time in four attempts and move on to their third Super Bowl in four years? What do they have to do? A must. Not a benefit. Not a goal. This has to be a necessity. This has to be a must to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's kick it off with number one. And this painfully hurt. The Chiefs last year in the regular season matchup this year in the first matchup between Burrow and Mahomes, they did not get after number nine. The Chiefs defensive line, despite playing a banged up and bad offensive line, could not get to Joe Burrow. And that is a big, big part in slowing down this explosive offense. Joe Burrow is not as mobile as Josh Allen. He's not as much of a freak of nature that Josh Allen is. On third and three, they are not direct snapping to Joe Burrow, and he's running out wide and lowering his shoulder and trying to plow over an edge rusher or a linebacker. No, he's going to throw the ball. He's going to want to throw the ball 30 to 40 times in this game, and he's going to want to get that ball to Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst. I mean, those are his weapons. Those are the guys he wants to get the ball to in space. And the only way you prevent that, because that's the thing, you can't take away all three or all four. Now, Jamar Chase may have his numbers. T. Higgins may have his numbers. Maybe it's Tyler Boyd. Maybe it's Joe Mixon on the ground and in the passing game. The way you can limit those opportunities, though, is by getting after him very early in the play. 
Now, this is a Bengals offensive line that, despite missing three of their starters, dominated Buffalo up front and dominated Buffalo in the snow. Bad weather. It's going to be cold at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday, but I'd expect that offensive line to still be pretty damn good. Maybe not play as well as they did against Buffalo because I think the Chiefs have a better defensive line than the Bills do. But it is about getting around or forcing Joe Burrow out of the pocket in the first two to three seconds of the play. Because you start letting Jamar Chase and T. Higgins get 15, 20 yards down the field. We've talked about this before. That's when the Bengals' offense is at its most explosive point. They can drive down the field in seven, eight, nine plays, torch you. And in the previous matchup in the regular season in Cincinnati, they just bludgeoned the Chiefs' defense in that zone coverage. And they weren't dominating the Chiefs' secondary. They were targeting Joshua Williams. They were targeting those young cornerbacks, Jalen Watson, Trent McDuffie, going after Legereus Sneed, going after Justin Reed. They were really targeting the duo of linebackers, Nick Bolton, Willie Gay. And I mean going completely after them. We saw how many plays, and if you don't even watch film or go back and rewatch games, I can understand it, but you can probably remember just from that first watch how many times the Bengals got guys open over the middle of the field. Just easy in that zone coverage. It was like practice, like moving targets, and Joe Burrow was just dissecting the Chiefs' defense with precision. I don't think the Chiefs will go zone coverage this time around because of how many plays were open over the middle of the field. How easy it was for Joe Burrow to find his receivers, find his tight ends. Now, the risk you run with running man is that Jamar Chase or T. Higgins could beat you over the top. And you have to trust rookie cornerbacks and slowing those guys down. And if you're not going to travel, right, if you're not going to have Legereus Sneed on Jamar Chase all game, well, we're going to see Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson on Jamar Chase at some point. What I do love about those two cornerbacks, though, is along with being athletic and being long, they're very physical. And you can't have a weaker cornerback, a smaller, weaker cornerback on a guy like Jamar Chase. He'll just dominate you. He'll embarrass, humiliate you in front of friends and family. That's just the type of receiver that Jamar Chase is. He gets separation, even when he has no cushion, even when he's got maybe an inch or two of separation, he's going to find a way to bring that ball in. Now, going back to last year's AFC Championship game, despite not getting the Joe Burrow, they got to him one time. Melvin Ingram. Chris Jones did not. Frank Clark did not. Derek Nottie did not. You know, despite not putting much pressure on Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase was bottled up until about midway through the third quarter. Then he started getting his numbers. And that was because the Chiefs could not wrap up Joe Burrow if they got to him. They were giving him three, four, five seconds in the pocket. And that's time for a play to break down, or a play to break down in the secondary. So key number one in beating the Cincinnati Bengals, you got to get to Joe Burrow early. You know, you don't need to rely on two or three turnovers. He just doesn't make mistakes. That's kind of the thing with Joe Burrow. With Josh Allen, you could maybe expect one or two bad mistakes in the game. That you don't even have to have good defense. He may just throw a right to a cornerback. He may get sacked and fumbled. He may just make a boneheaded play. He may be trying to do too much. Joe Burrow knows exactly what he's capable of. And that's being a top two quarterback in this league. But also understanding, you know, if we got a a two-score lead, 
I'm not forcing anything into double coverage. I'm taking what the defense is giving me. And at times, Mahomes hasn't even been able to do that. Mahomes always wants to go for the home run. He wants to test the double coverage. He wants to fit it in where maybe there's only an inch or two of separation. And that's why it's tough to come back against the Bengals. Because there's very few times you can force a three and out. You can force a turnover. And the only way I think you can put this Bengals offense in a difficult position is that third and 12, third and 13, and finding ways to generate pressure, dialing up certain blitzes, disguising certain blitzes. Chris Jones, this is what the Chiefs paid you for. You have yet to have a postseason sack. You nearly had a couple in last year's AFC title game, and if you did have a couple of them, it was probably a good chance the Chiefs were heading back to the Super Bowl for a third consecutive year. But Joe Burrow eluded him a couple of times and escaped the grasp of Chris Jones, and that can't happen. That absolutely cannot happen on Sunday night. If Chris Jones is there, he's got to wrap up, and I know the rules are difficult. I know you're worried about roughing the passer. You've got to make sure that Joe Burrow is not extending plays and finding his dynamic receivers down the field. Key number one. Get after Joe Burrow early in the play. Number two, do not abandon that run game. And I think the Chiefs might be benefiting a little bit here, and I, this is going to sound odd to say, but with Patrick Mahomes being a little bit immobilized, you know, favoring that ankle, they're not going to be asking Patrick Mahomes to throw it 50 times in this game. They're going to have to rely a little bit on the running game. They're going to have to rely on a little bit of the quick game, the five-yard outs the screen plays, handing the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco, getting Jarek McKinnon involved. You know, that may be how the Chiefs start this game offensively. But here's the thing. Last year, the Bengals were not stopping the run. And for some odd reason, the Chiefs went away from the run. They were picking up chunk yardage. Hell, go back to this matchup earlier in the year. The Chiefs were averaging over seven yards per carry in the first half, and they didn't run the ball in the second half because they wanted Patrick Mahomes to still be involved in this game. Now you can throw that out the window, and I'll be quite candid here. I'm not sure Cincinnati defends Kansas City the exact same way for the fourth consecutive time. Just because it worked in the first three doesn't mean the Chiefs would make, wouldn't make adjustments. Right at the Bengals, drop eight, and only rush a handful of guys, you know, rush three guys, and they're winning their one-on-one matchups. Well, that's one thing. But I would understand Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, going, all right, this time around, fourth time's a charm. When they're rushing three, we're just going to run some smash-mouth football. We are going to try to make it second and short for Patrick Mahomes. We're not going to ask Patrick Mahomes to run these elaborate 20, 25-yard plays down the field. We're going to simplify things. And we're going to force the Bengals to bring back a couple of guys to the line of scrimmage, which then opens up things in the secondary. Now, I really do think the Bengals would be stupid to drop eight again because Patrick Mahomes is hobbled. I think, if anything, you really want to generate pressure on Patrick Mahomes because he can't move around that well. But then you run the risk of losing your one-on-one matchups in the secondary. Now, maybe you can't defend Travis Kelsey if you're rushing five guys. Maybe you can't defend Juju or MVS or Kadarius Toney when you're putting that many guys at the line of scrimmage. You could also question, you know, well, if it's working, why would you fix it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why would you go away from the 
dropping eight in coverage. Well, I would understand that because the Chiefs have shown in the three previous matchups, they don't make that many adjustments. In fact, they go away from what was working well for them. But key number two, I mean, this has to be the biggest emphasis going into the game. You got to run the ball and you got to stay with the run. If the Chiefs are averaging over five yards per carry in the first half, damn it, don't go away from it. You got to make sure that you can keep up that pace because that's only going to extend drives. It's only going to set you up on second and short, third and manageable. And I know the Chiefs are not a great team at converting third and short. They're much better at third and long. But I think with the state of Patrick Mahomes, you don't want him dealing with third and long all afternoon, having to worry about scrambling and stepping up in the pocket and rolling out on that bum ankle. Take some pressure off him. Run the ball. Pacheco has been phenomenal since taking over as the starter. Jarek McKinnon has been exceptional since becoming that number two back. You've got a one-two punch in those running backs. And if the Bengals stick to their guns and do what they've been doing in the three previous matchups, just trying to win win one-on-ones up front of the defensive line, rushing only three, well then run it down their throat. Run it down their throat till they bring in a couple more guys. Then you can open up that playbook a little bit. But Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, you have to stick with the run. There's no way around it. And now more than ever, you do not want Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball 50 times in this game. You don't want to put that much pressure on a guy that can certainly handle it, but he's on a bum ankle. And if you win, you still got the Super Bowl. You do not want to wear down that ankle or something to happen to it, and the only way you can prevent something serious happening is making sure that he's not taking on too much here. And you have two good running backs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not going to be the number one back on Sunday night. You've got Isaiah Pacheco, who's been one of the more pleasant surprises of anybody in the rookie class this year. So one, getting to Joe Burrow early in the play. Number two, not abandoning the run. And number three, we have used this key, I want to say a couple times this year, but it's more so to touch on what happened in last year's AFC title game. Let's say, in a perfect scenario, the Chiefs start just as hot as they did in last year's title game. 21-3. You're up two scores. You're up three scores. It is really about Locking that team up, speaking of Cincinnati, and throwing away the key. Stepping on the throat, curb stomping them. You cannot let a team like Cincinnati hang around. And even if the Chiefs jump out 14-0, Arrowhead's rocking, you forced a turnover. Patrick Mahomes is, is 7 of 8 for 90 yards, and Isaiah Pacheco's already busted one open for 30 yards, and the offense is flowing with ease. You have to know in the back of your mind that run's coming. Cincinnati's going to get this game close. So it's a matter of keeping your foot on the pedal. You cannot give any breathing room to Cincinnati. And the Bengals view you the exact same way. They'll be celebrating if they're up 14-0. But they'll understand number 15's on the other sideline. And he can overcome just about any deficit in the NFL. 24-0, he can do it in one quarter. You know, 17-0 at home, he can do it in a half. There's been some big-time deficits that Patrick Mahomes has overcame and in the postseason and late in games. His first AFC Championship game against New England, the Chiefs were shut out. Shut out. 
and they still scored over 30-plus points in the second half in overtime. That's how lethal, that's how dangerous this quarterback can be. But if you are Kansas City and you're on the opposite side of that, you are up big, basically a carbon copy of what happened in last year's AFC title game, you have to stay aggressive. If you are up 14-0, treat it like you're down 14-0. That's how you should be playing in this game. Look at the way Cincinnati operated against Buffalo. No, up 14-0. Never lost that aggression. And even when Buffalo got within one score, the Bengals immediately drove down the field. They didn't get timid. They didn't get worried. And in the second half, the Bills got three points. And the Bengals stayed aggressive offensively. You always have to think in the back of your mind, they're going to catch fire. They're going to get hot. Their offense is going to start working regardless of how this game starts. And your offense can really help out this defense if you never let up off the pedal. They've done it before, and it's cost them games. It's cost them games in the postseason. But going into this one, you have to understand this is not a spunky Cincinnati team. It's not a Cincinnati team. We've used this term all month long. House money. They're not playing with house money. They're good. They're, they know they're good. This is not the same team as last year, despite having a lot of the same players. Last year, they had already overachieved. They had already gotten to where many people believe they couldn't get to in the AFC Championship game. They had no pressure going into Arrowhead Stadium. Now they're favored against the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium, and Patrick Mahomes will be an underdog for the first time in his career in the postseason. That's wild to think about, but also take that seriously. You have to take it seriously. This is the second-best team, I believe. Maybe you can give them the top spot in the AFC, and I would not disagree with you. This is a top-two team in the AFC. You want to say they're the best team? I would be okay with that. You want to still say the Chiefs are? I'm still okay with that. But maybe going into this game, treat them like they're the best team in the AFC. Not give them the confidence and the swagger, but act like you are the underdog. Act like you need to go in there and shock the world, even though it wouldn't be a shock of winning at home against Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game. But staying aggressive is so vitally important with this offense. You can't get timid. You can't get conservative. And Andy Reid's shown that he has been conservative when having big leads in games. And it allows teams to crawl back in it. Cincinnati is going to make a run of some sort at one point in that game. Could be first, second, third, or fourth quarter. This will be close at one point. Could be close at the end. Could be close early on. Could be close at half. Not really sure, but no lead is ever safe against this Bengals team. So those are my three keys to the game. Getting to Joe Burrow early in the play. I'm talking about two, two and a half seconds. Chris Jones, Carlos Dunlap, Frank Clark, George Karloftis. Somebody has got to be around him. And when you get to him, wrap him up, bring him down. Do not let him escape that grasp. Number two, do not abandon the run. You have to establish it. You have to stick with it. Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon can have great games in this. They can average over five yards per carry, especially if the Bengals are going to be dropping eight in coverage. And if Patrick Mahomes has a 70% ankle, I don't want him throwing 50 times in this game. Take as much pressure off that ankle as you can. Screen game, quick outs, running the ball. And if it's working, stick with it. And lastly... You have to stay aggressive offensively, uh, defensively as well. I mean, you really have to set the tone. You jump out, you score on your first two drives, make it three in a row, make it four in a row, make it five in a row. I know it's not that possible. It's easier said than done. 
but the Chiefs cannot get conservative with Cincinnati. No lead is safe against this Bengals team. No lead is ever going to be safe with Joe Burrow having the three-headed monster and Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. So those are my three keys to the game. If the Chiefs do that, I feel it is a good chance they will win against Cincinnati on Sunday night and move on to the Super Bowl and await either the Eagles or the 49ers. Mark, before we head to break, any you want to add on to, double down on, and these three keys to the game in beating Cincinnati and moving on to their third Super Bowl in four years. Uh, yeah, um, and this kind of ties into the D- the game- Bengals if they weren't to switch up their game plan defensively for Patrick Mahomes. But either way, um, if maybe they're not showing you the same style of defense or same same defensive schemes that you've seen in the previous three games, at the end of the day, if you're Patrick Mahomes especially with a hurt ankle although he could prove us all he can prove us all wrong on Saturday or Sunday um, take what the Bengals defense gives you how many times did we see in that game not just last year in the AFC championship but in the regular season too where Mahomes kind of just overlooked the check down we want to sit or didn't see the check down I can remember the Jarek McKinnon uh, being wide open by the first down marker and Mahomes scrambling out to the left but choosing to go downfield with it. And he even mentioned it in the presser, uh, in the postgame presser that that week after that game. Um, So learning from the mistakes in in both losses to the Bengals of recent, what I want to see from Patrick Mahomes is that he's learned from those mistakes and he's, and he, the times when he's faulted against Cincinnati, I want to see the, I want, I want to, I want to see him not, I shouldn't say make up for him, but not, not, not have the same trouble against Cincinnati or not create the same faults that he has, uh, that the offense has had in, in the last two matchups against this team. So I want to see that, Want to see uh, better play out of the linebackers, too. Uh, run defense is going to have to step it up big in this one. Although Buffalo, although Buffalo's defense got caught with the snow last with with snow last week and was kind of look almost like immobile uh, last last weekend against Cincinnati. Um, I, I, it shouldn't be that way this weekend. At least it's going to be cold, but snow shouldn't be a factor in the forecast. So you should be able to have that grass underneath your feet um, to get to give you that sort of momentum that Buffalo didn't have uh, on their home field last week. Uh, because you got to remember, this is an offensive line that is hurt. They got they have guys that are not their regular starters in the, in place. So it'll be interesting to see how big of a difference that is when you get that when you get that same offensive line on a different field, uh, different field conditions than Buffalo, but than, than what we saw in Buffalo. So Patrick Mahomes just turning around, learn, learn, learning from the mistakes. I'm not saying play a perfect football game, but just not having the same mistakes that we've seen in the past when or the, um, that Cincinnati has been able to get out of Patrick Mahomes. And then uh, the defensive two linebackers, I think that's just going to be a vital role because at the end of the day, that's what this you can compare this Bengals team to the Patriots team of 2018. Mm-hmm. It's not the GOAT at quarterback, but it's the same style of quarterback in there where the kryptonite for them is get after and put pressure on them. That's what made Tom Brady so special was his offensive line. And so Joe Burrow is showing is – show, is, that's where Joe Burrow shows signs of um, comparison with Tom Brady. So 
I remember those times in 2018, just like as long as they can stop the run, then they can have a shot defensively. You don't want Tom Brady or Joe Burrow to be passing the ball, but you don't want them to be able to work with the work with work with a run game. That's worse. So eliminating the run game, Perrine has been a he's been he's been a he's been a thorn in the side of the Chiefs defense. So plugging up plugging up the middle of that hole, uh, Chris Jones going to play a vital role, of course. But I just think also Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, other two defensive players that are going to need to step it up and be who they are, and that is the veteran star, the veteran, the veteran pieces of the defense, but also you're the guys of the defense also behind Chris Jones. I think in the games, in these three previous games against Cincinnati, where the Chiefs were really snake-bitten is when Patrick Mahomes almost just tried to do too much. You know, when there were dropping eight in coverage, he still tried to test that secondary, and I think in this game, you got to take what they give you. Because Joe Burrow against Buffalo – he just took what Buffalo gave him. Wide open guy, seven, eight yards in the route. Might as well hit him. Sets up second and two. Give the ball to Joe Mixon, pick up five. First down, move the chains. Chiefs can do that. It would not be far-fetched to think they could handle Cincinnati the way that Cincinnati handled Buffalo. Now, I think Cincinnati is a much, much better team than Buffalo. And Buffalo, I think even in that game, was at fourth string in their secondary with their safety. So they were banged up too, but so was Cincinnati. Take advantage of that offensive line and do not get too greedy offensively. And I think you should find a way to win on Sunday night against the Bengals. 5.30 kickoff, the fifth consecutive AFC Championship game at Arrowhead Stadium. We'll see if the Chiefs can go back to the Super Bowl for the third time in four years. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, K-State fell in a nail-biter to Iowa State. How does that shake up the Big 12? And what's next for Kansas State as they're now 17-3 and through 20 games this year? We'll talk about it next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. The fifth-ranked Wildcats fell last night in Ames to 12th-ranked Iowa State, 80-76. The Cyclones moved to a perfect 11-0 at home this season. K-State drops just their second game in conference play. And now this is how the Big 12 shakes out. There is still no separation. What at all? I would say that right now there are about five to six teams. I would go six. Six teams could win this conference. That is crazy to think about here at the end of January. I mean, these final you know weeks, this final month, a little over a month, they're going to be chaotic. I mean, right now you have Kansas in fourth place, Baylor in sixth place. Baylor just beat Kansas, and those are the two teams that were expected to win the conference. Yet it's Kansas State, Texas, and Iowa State at the top. So from top to bottom, Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State, and a three-way tie. Wildcats at 6-2, Texas 6-2, Iowa State 6-2 in conference play. K-State and Texas are both 17-3. Iowa State is 15-4. And then it's Kansas, TCU, and Baylor in a three-way tie. 
Kansas, TCU, and Baylor all five and three. The Jayhawks and Horn Frogs at sixteen and four. Baylor at fifteen and five. Then you have the teams that bottom out the conference, but still are going to be a tough out when you go and play them on the road or hell even at home. Oklahoma State is eleven and nine overall, but three and five in conference play. Oklahoma eleven and nine overall. They're two and six in conference play. The Mountaineers are eleven and eight overall, one and six in conference play. In Texas Tech. Just a dismal 0-7 in conference play in 10-9 overall, but I'm pretty sure no team in this conference feels comfortable going to go play them in Lubbock. And we'll get West Virginia tonight at 6 p.m. Wouldn't be shocked to see Texas Tech get their first conference win. But that's how strong this conference is. And last night, I think, was another telltale sign that it's not going to be two or three teams at the end. I mean, it is really going to be a dogfight all the way up until the end of February. K-State's going to be in the thick of it. Texas is going to be in the thick of it. How about that? Texas was not falling off, and they've got a massive showdown on Saturday, the Big 12 SEC showdown uh, against Tennessee. But think about it. After their loss to Kansas State, I think you're going, man, either Kansas State's really good, which has proven to be true, or Texas is just not what we thought they could be. Without Chris Beard. It's a team that has had a lot of off-the-court distractions, but since that point, they've lost one game, and it was to Iowa State and Ames. They lost by 11. Other than that, beat Oklahoma State, beat West Virginia, beat Texas Tech, beat TCU, beat Oklahoma State, beat Oklahoma. They've beaten the bottom teams of the conference, but they're taking care of business. They're 6-2. and two. No complaints there whatsoever if you're a fan of Texas. 17-3 and three overall and pacing to be a 1-2 or two seed in the NCAA tournament. But last night to me, watching K-State, watching Iowa State play, I gathered a couple of things. Number one, Iowa State may have next to Allen Fieldhouse the toughest home court advantage in the Big 12. I mean, Hilton Coliseum, when that team is good, is just rocking. And you know what? We spent a lot of time praising Jerome Tang in Kansas State about the turnaround that he's had in one year. Hell, not even one year. People forget, though, the job that T.J. Oltzelberger has done in two When he took over Iowa State in that COVID year, after the COVID year, excuse me, Iowa State won two games. They did not win a conference game. They were 2-20 or 2-22, I believe it was. I mean, one of the worst teams I've ever watched play in the Big 12. And there were some bad teams in the mid-2000s, some bad Texas Tech teams, some bad Oklahoma State teams, bad Oklahoma teams, bad K-State teams. Nobody came close to that Iowa State team. They couldn't score, couldn't stop anybody, and that's pretty fitting when you win two games. And they weren't even that competitive in conference play. They were getting dominated. And Steve Prohm, he had to go. They move on, they get T.J. Olzelberger. Made it to the Sweet 16 last year. I believe it was a Sweet 16. It was Sweet 16 or Elite, if I'm not mistaken. Definitely the Sweet 16. I, remember I don't think 16. they were a game away from the Final Four. I think they lost to Miami in that game, and then KU played them in the Elite I Eight. I think that makes sense. Yes, it was yeah. that because I remember everybody was talking about, oh, man, KU-Iowa State, that would be crazy in Chicago with those two fan bases. So, yeah, memory has come back to me, thanks to you, Marco, that TC, or excuse me, Iowa State, they were a team that was on the doorstep of the Elite Eight, and that was one year after winning two games. And this year, top of the conference. Just beat Kansas State, the fifth-ranked team. They've beaten Texas. They hung on in Allen Fieldhouse but lost at the buzzer. This is a team that is, I mean, right now if I had to make my favorite or pick my favorite to win the Big 12 tournament, I'd go with Iowa State. I really would. 
We know how many Iowa State fans travel to Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. I mean, that is like a, a prime destination. It, it is absolutely crazy to see, even last year. You know, Iowa State was hanging around the middle part of the conference, but man, they all showed up every single time. You never want to face Iowa State in the Big 12 tournament because unless you're Kansas, it's a road game. There are so many fans that show up, and they're a rabid fan base. They are a passionate fan base, and basketball's back in Ames, Iowa. And then for Kansas State, you know, for what they've done, nothing changed my mind last night about Kansas State. It just solidified the fact that it is going to be a really tough job, and not that they can't do it, but just to keep Jerome Tang in Manhattan, right? And I, I hope, I mean, if you're a Kansas State fan, you are hoping they are backing up multiple trucks loaded with cash to keep him there. To be 17-3 and ranked top five in the nation after being projected to finish dead last in the conference, that's telling. How quickly he overhauled the roster. Now it's about sustaining that, right? Because I don't see Keontae Johnson coming back next year. I don't see Marquise Dewell coming back next year. You have some guys that'll stick around. You know, Naquan Tomlin, Cam Carter, I believe. Or David Gasson. Now you will have some guys that can stick around, but some of your top scorers, Desi Sills, Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, you're going to have to replace that production. I think that's what's going to be the interesting part about Jerome Tang. If he can recruit like that and the way he assembled this roster through the transfer portal, he'll have no issues. But, man, I mean, he has to be by far and away to me coach of the year. I don't know if anybody, maybe T.J. Olselberger, but I also thought Iowa State would be a team that always hung around in the top 15, maybe top 20. But Jerome Tang has elevated this roster. We've said that time and time and again. And last night to hang around in the way they did and didn't play a flawless game. It wasn't like they had to play lights out to beat Iowa State. They didn't play that well and hung around. Now They were one missed bucket away, I think a possession or two away from finding a way to steal one. And I think the pressure of being top five in the nation, playing in a hostile environment, it gets you a couple of times. Like, I will tell you right now, I have zero confidence whatsoever that Kansas will win in Ames. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But the way they're playing right now, I don't see any way in hell that KU wins in Hilton Coliseum. And K-State played a lot better than I thought they would. You know, I saw the way they played against TCU and Fort Worth just kind of run out of the gym. Iowa State was the best defensive team they faced. But then when I saw Caleb Grill was going to be a game-time decision, he wasn't much of a factor last night, aside from one big three-pointer on a tip-out. No, he's pretty much a non-factor. But Marquise Noel, once again, proving that he is just unstoppable when he gets going. Keontae Johnson wasn't the best on the floor last night, but got a double-double. That's just Kansas State's offense, man. I love Naquan Tomlin. That's a guy I don't think we talk about enough. Naquan Tomlin is just a freak. And he didn't play high school basketball. I, again, I, I don't know how... <laughs> I don't know and how it kids shows, do that. man. I it mean, shows. It is just a. I mean, he's a freak of nature, but I just. I mean, I could not imagine not playing a sport. Now, I, it's different. He's six ten. Okay, he's athletic. He's just naturally gifted. Myself, I'm about five eleven, six foot. There's no way in hell I could go play Division one basketball if I never played in high school. But still, uh, the way he could pick up the game, we always talked about Joel Embiid at Kansas, that I think he played like two years of high school, and then now he's one of the best players in the NBA competing for MVP awards. Like some guys just pick it up late. But Jerome Tang saw that in him, and he's one of their top players. A great defender on the interior, great defender on the wing. I mean, it's a team that's going to be a very tough out in March, and I think last night showed me a lot. Now, there's no moral victories in college basketball. I'm not going to sit here and go, well done, congratulations, you lost Iowa State. 
No, I think Kansas State fans felt like, hmm, uh, if we want to win this conference, you got to steal a couple like that. Because now you get Kansas on Tuesday at Allen Fieldhouse. And then that could be your rough stretch. Got to take care of business against Florida first at home, which I believe they can. But see, this is what we were talking about when recapping KU's loss to Baylor yesterday. Every team in this conference is going to go through a rough patch. Baylor's lost three in a row. Kansas has lost three in a row at some point in conference play. The only teams that haven't really had a tough stretch, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas. They've lost, but not consecutive games. I think every team has gotten blown out. You know, I think it's maybe not Iowa State now that I think about it. They lost to Kansas and one more that I think I'm blanking on. It wasn't Texas, and it wasn't Kansas State. Texas or Iowa State's Oklahoma State. So how, how about that? A team that is... Three and five in conference play. They lost to Oklahoma State and Stillwater by two. Combined losses this year for Iowa State in the Big 12, four-point four difference. Points. So they're the only team that hasn't been blown out. Texas, blown out by Kansas State. Kansas was blown out by TCU. Kansas State was blown out by TCU. That's just this conference, man. And I think anytime you feel too high or too low, just look at all these other teams. TCU, we've said this before, 20-balled Kansas and Kansas State. Lost to West Virginia. There's just no telling. You can't go on this schedule and go, well, that's a gimme. You know, K-State gets Oklahoma at home. That's an easy win. Well, on paper, yeah. But there's just no guarantee. You play Oklahoma State in Stillwater. That's a tough out. You play Texas Tech in Lubbock. They're 0-7. Any other casual fan that maybe is a fan of an ACC team or Big Ten, Mountain West, you know, Conference USA. I don't think Conference USA is around anymore. American, we'll go with that. You root for those teams, you look at the Big 12 and go, man, Texas Tech must suck. 0-7, yeah, they're not a great team. Uh, Yeah, you go play in Lubbock against that crowd. The fact that Texas Tech in the standings is the worst team, that just shows you how damn good this conference is. And they're not even healthy. And the top teams, it's just a gauntlet. Right, Kansas and Baylor at the middle of the pack. I know every Kansas fan's at the doom and gloom point. They suck, they're terrible, they're weak, they have no size. They were number two in the country last week. I mean, that's just how quickly things can change. Kansas State's number five in the nation. And you deal with the pressure of being a top five team. It was crazy to look at Kansas State last night and go, man, people are going to expect that they win this game. They've never gone into Ames, really, in over a decade and been like, yeah, we should be favored to win this game. The pressure of being top five in the nation. Kansas always deals with it. They go into environments. They're expected to win. And Kansas State in 20 games has now become a team you expect to win. Now, there's losses you have, and you go, okay, it's not a bad loss. Last night, by no means, was a bad loss for Kansas State. They hung with the best team I believe in the conference, in Iowa State. And that's going to fluctuate, too. For those listening, I'm not trying to pick a different team every single week. The Big 12 is going to have the best team probably change about four or five more times because there's not going to be that separation. Just when you think... Somebody's going to take off. They're going to be brought back down to earth. You know, it's going to be like one of those scenarios in which somebody's climbing up a ladder. And every time somebody's near the top, somebody grabs their ankle and pulls them back down or throws them to the bottom. Kansas was that team going into Manhattan that was nearly the top of the ladder. Kansas State grabbed their ankle, threw them down a couple of pegs. Then TCU grabbed them, dropped them a couple more pegs. And then Baylor took them and dropped them to the middle of the conference. 
That's just the Big 12. Iowa State, who I just believe right now is the best Big 12 team, they're going to go through a rough stretch. It happens. They lost to Oklahoma State, who's at the bottom of the conference. They could lose to Texas Tech and Lubbock. Hell, Tech could beat them you know, in the tournament or something like that, the Big 12 tournament. You just never know with this conference. Oklahoma has proven to be a tough out. TCU, middle of the conference, 20-balled two of the top teams. That's just how good it can be. And last night, it just solidified the fact that, man, I don't know if there's going to be that much separation at all. You always think in the Big 12, by the end of it, either Kansas surges above everybody else, a two- or three-game leading conference play, or it comes down to about two teams. You know, Kansas and Texas back in the early 2010s. Then it was Kansas and Oklahoma one year. Kansas and Kansas State another year. You know, Kansas and Texas Tech. Kansas and West Virginia. There were about two, maybe three teams. This year, probably four or five. Now, it's going to cannibalize itself, this conference, so you're going to have teams that look really good right now. Think maybe Baylor, who's really hot. I think Baylor now going to be top four. But let's say a team like, I don't know, Kansas State. Kansas State right now, nothing's gone wrong this year. Maybe they lose three in a row. Then it's gut check time. How do they deal or respond to that adversity? Because Baylor and Kansas, they're dealing with their, or Kansas dealing with their adversity now. Baylor responded very well. They lost three in a row, won five in a row. Kansas lost three in a row. You get Kansas State on Tuesday, Kentucky on Saturday. Got to respond. Oh, and by the way, you get Iowa State and Ames that following Saturday. You could lose the next three. How do you respond to that adversity? And Kansas State, despite losing last night, has not dealt with true adversity yet. It may come down if they drop a game to Florida and then go to Allen Fieldhouse and play Kansas. That's the adversity we're talking about. But by the end of February, I would not be shocked in the slightest if we see this conference just top-heavy with about four or five teams. But even the bottom teams, I think Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, they all pull off multiple upsets each. Two to three. Oklahoma State's already got one. The only team that doesn't is Texas Tech because they don't have a conference win. West Virginia beat TCU. Oklahoma nearly knocked off Kansas and Texas. So they're right there in the thick of it. They don't have that true upset yet, but they've been right there. Then you have a team like Oklahoma State. They beat Iowa State. So top to bottom, a very scary conference, but I think here in about a month, we're going to see really who the top contenders are, but there's going to be no separation whatsoever. Kansas ain't winning this conference by two or three games. Kansas State's not either. Iowa State's not. Texas is not. It's going to be in the thick of it because here's the thing. Kansas still gets Baylor one more time. Kansas gets Texas twice. They get Kansas State one more time. Kansas State gets Iowa State again. Kansas State has to play Texas at home again. Now, there are a lot of great matchups in February that may decide this conference. I just don't think there's going to be a massive separation when it's all said and done. Mark, before we head to break, talk some Royals baseball. Uh, takeaways, maybe from last night in Iowa State, remaining undefeated at home. They squeak out with a four-point win, but another win against a top-10 team nationally. Is Iowa State, I'll ask you this question, so maybe a recap. Mm-hmm. Iowa State the best team in the conference, or is it maybe still Kansas State? Is it Texas, who's now 17-3 overall? Is it a Baylor? Is it a TCU? Is it Kansas despite their struggles? Who really is the top dog in the Big 12? I don't know if I can answer that question. I don't know if that question has been answered because, and you went through really well in the examples of how this conference has kind of beat each other up. So, I mean, it depends on how you measure what is the best. It depends on how you measure teams and and all and all that. But 
I said earlier today on the Border Patrol because this is a question that's been that Nate and Steve and um, um, put out there. Hell, they even asked Greg Gurley of uh, Jayhawk Radio Network who he thinks is, and he said the same thing that he doesn't he doesn't know who it is. Um, Nate couldn't give an answer, so here's the answer that I gave to the three of them based on what we've seen in this early early uh half of the half of the Big 12 season I think I'm still I think it's still either TCU or Baylor and I'm measuring it based off the coaching I'm measuring it based off depth on the uh depth on the roster I'm measuring on experience I'm measuring on what's already been played this season and although Iowa State has is definitely the they, they they're standing out they're at the top of the standings after the first half, they definitely have won the first half of the Big 12 season, but we're talking about the full season and what's to come in the second half. Baylor, with how health when they are healthy, they are considered, if not the best team in the conference, um, when when at 100% health. TCU, the more experienced, got a lot of doesn't have a lack of depth on their roster, has a veteran experienced head coach in Jamie Dixon, who I think is an established head co- who's an established veteran coach now in the Big 12 after coming over from Pittsburgh in the Big East. So I think it's just those two, but at the end of the day, you can't knock what K-State's done early on and how big of a splash they've made in Jerome Tang. And then KU defending national champions with the best coach in the conference there on the sidelines. Who's to say that KU won't be at the top come at the end of the come at the end of the seat at the Big Twelve season? Because I mean, well, crap, we've said it before. I mean, there were times where we thought Texas was going to be uh, at the top beginning of half of the season after just a half a season. There were times where we thought Oklahoma State they beat KU down in Stillwater uh, the year before they went to the national title in the uh, or a couple, maybe it was a couple of years, but. Um, it's just it's we're in that part now where it's everybody has a chance, but it just wouldn't surprise anyone if KU is at the top of it at the end of the year because Bill Self just he gets his players to play at a different level um, later in the season. So that's where I'm at up right right now. But as of as today, I'm thinking TCU Baylor closes out and wins the Big Twelve chan- wins the Big Twelve regular season title. Can't argue with that whatsoever. I think TCU is sneaky. One of those top teams, but they've also faltered a couple times against teams that are lesser than them. Comes down to consistency, man. It's the wild, wild west, and who will be the last one standing at the end of February, early March, before the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. We'll take our final break. When we come back, our thoughts on the Royals trading Adalberto Mondesi and wrapping it up with some fact or fiction next on ESPN Kansas City. Final six minutes of the show here on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am Jack Johnson. That is Marco Marquez. And we can't stop talking about the Kansas City Royals in January because they've been very active, uh, adding guys through free agency and trading guys here in about the last couple weeks or so. But the Adalberto Mondesi era finally came to an end yesterday as the Royals traded Mondesi and a player to be named later to the Boston Red Sox in exchange for 29-year-old left-hander Josh Taylor, who missed all of 2022, but still has a career ERA south of 3.7. Also strikes out more than 11 guys per nine in his career, around 100 career big league innings. A funky throwing lefty, but he gets a lot of swing and miss with his slider. At one point in 2021, I believe to start the year, he had 24 consecutive scoreless innings. So we've seen a guy like Josh Taylor dominate up in Boston, 
but dealt with a back injury last year, never got on the field. So the Royals are hoping that he can bounce back and sort of revitalize this bullpen that had a lot of problems uh, having guys with swing and miss stuff and guys that are throwing strikes. But Royals have been very transactional. They've opened up a couple of spots now in their lineup. You trade away Michael A. Taylor to the Minnesota Twins because J.J. Piccolo wanted guys like Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell to be their center fielders this year. They traded away Alberto Mondesi because they want Bobby Wood Jr. playing shortstop every single day. And I have no problems with that whatsoever. But Bob Nightingale of the USA Today reported that the Royals are still finalizing a couple of deals or getting some more deals in place because they're really wanting to clear out the roster and clear up some space. Right now their payrolls are on $77 million. J.J. Bacola said his press conference yesterday that he wants it to be around $85, $90 million. About $3 million of that will go to Brady Singer, who's still fighting his arbitration case. You'd think maybe they go after a guy like Zach Granke. Uh, so a couple of different ways the Royals could go with it. But they are looking into a utility guy to add to this team, probably add another bullpen guy. Maybe they trade away Scott Barlow. Maybe they trade away Amir Garrett. It was reported yesterday that they were been in talks with the Chicago White Sox with Nicky Lopez. Uh, so that's something to watch as well. David Lesky reported of Inside the Crown that the Royals have been very active in trying to find a home for Hunter Dozier. Who knows who would take on that contract, though, if the Royals have to eat a lot of that money. Not really sure what the return would be for Hunter Dozier, but it's clear J.J. Piccolo is trying to clean out this roster a little bit, get the young guys in the lineup, have them get over 400 at-bats this season. And even if you lose 90 games, it's a 90-loss season in which you've made a lot of improvement in getting those guys major league at-bats. But moving on from Adalberto Montesi was absolutely the right move. They can never say they never gave him a chance. He just was never healthy, and when he was healthy, he showed you flashes, but for the most part, he was a below-average hitter that couldn't stay healthy and couldn't get on base. He was probably the most raw potential guy, most talented guy the Royals had had in 30, 40 years. Speed, power tool, glove, but just could never put it all together, hoping for the best for him in Boston. But Josh Taylor comes in exchange for Montessi. We'll see where he fits into this bullpen. Now it's time for some factor fiction. Five questions, five takes, and well under five minutes. Marco Fireway. Jack, factor fiction, the Chiefs run for more than 120 yards on Sunday. I'm going to go fact on this. I do think they run the ball very effectively. I think the Bengals, though they may not drop eight, they may still not get a lot of pressure on Mahomes, at least hoping not. But I think the Chiefs will try to establish the run a little bit, hoping for a big game for Isaiah Pacheco. But I think fact over 120 sounds about right since Patrick Mahomes will be throwing for 350 or 400. Factor fiction, Joe Burrow is pressured more is pressured in more than 20% of his dropbacks. I'm going to go in fiction on that because Joe Burrow gets the ball out so quickly. And that is kind of the, the problem for this Chiefs defense is he can get the ball to his guys very early in that play. There's a lot of quick checkdowns, but he also can beat you down the field. But I'm going to go fiction. Don't see on 20% of the dropbacks. I go just a little bit under that. Factor fiction, Iowa State will be a three seed in March. I think fact. I think they'll be a top three seed. Three seems about right there. I don't think they'll win the conference. Right now they are the best team, but I don't see it being that way at the end of February, but definitely a top three team for TJ Ulterberger's squad. Factor fiction, the Big 12 finishes with more wins in SEC. Yeah, fact. This is the best conference in basketball. There's a lot of favorable matchups for the Big 12. May come down to the Texas, maybe winning at Tennessee or Kansas, uh, beating Kentucky at Rupp Arena, but I do think the Big 12 uh, beats out the SEC in this challenge this weekend. And lastly, Factor Fiction, Royals complete at least two more trades before the end of the week. I could see one more. I think it might be a guy like Amir Garrett. Don't think they'll do Hunter Dozier just yet. Maybe it's Nicky Lopez because there's a lot of smoke around that deal. I think, fact, I think we'll see about two more trades for the weekend and maybe even more before they go down to surprise and begin spring training. 
There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM USB in Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City. Baby, listen, baby, don't you treat me this way.